You know, I love singing old songs, and I love singing new songs, and that new song sounded like an old song. <laughs> I liked it. I liked it a lot. Love that song. Hey, uh, I don't know if you noticed, but I am wearing a tie. <clears throat> Kevin. You know, uh, I don't normally wear a tie, but I want you to know that in true humility, I lost a bet. Don't look too closely at this tie, but this is a tie that is really hard for me to wear because it's an Ohio State tie. I know. I feel the same way you do. I was so sure that our Badgers would win the Big Ten championship that I just was throwing bets all over the place. And with Dr. Matt Campbell, I said, okay, if we win, you got to wear Badger attire on the job. And he said, okay, if Ohio State wins, you got to wear Ohio State attire on the job. So I just have to get through it. just have to get through it. It's choking me, actually. <clears throat> but anyway, you know, uh, times they sure have changed, haven't they? A lot of things have changed in our day and age. One of the things that I've noticed that has seems to have changed recently is, well, it seems like you just can't disagree with people like we used to be able to disagree. I mean, we used to be able to disagree with one another, you know, kind of butt heads a little bit, and then... And then go have coffee together, kind of love one another. Now, you disagree with someone, and it's grounds to hate. It's true. I mean, you think about it. Um, disagree on gay marriage. You have a view on gay marriage. Somebody else has a view on gay marriage. It's not like we can just disagree. It's like, well, I hate you because you don't agree with me. Disagree on politics? Hate. <laughs> disagree on... Parenting, disagree on, you name it, that's something that is deep within us, something that we hold dear to. If we disagree, it's not like we can just go about, well, let's just agree to disagree and sort of, you know, be friends. No, now it's like, if you disagree with me, I hate you. Hate, it just seems to be out there, doesn't it? All around us, it seems like you just hear hate this and hate crime that and all this hate going on. But hate isn't just out there. I think for many of us, hate is in here, too. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to minimize the intensity that some of us have toward another person, a hatred that we might have toward them in our hearts, because for many of us, we've been mistreated. We've been abused. We have, we have been injured, hurt deeply. Others of us have been on the receiving end of hatred, where somebody or some people hate us for some reason. Hatred seems to go against what Jesus taught. Matter of fact, if you just quickly go to Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus is on the Sermon on the Mount and he's teaching us how to live righteously, he comes to this point in his message and uh, it's a passage that maybe some of you will remember as I read it. It's in Matthew 5, 
verse 43. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies? In this day and age, that's crazy talk. (laughs) In this day and age, it's like, no way. By the way, how can you love someone you have hatred toward? Now, don't get me wrong. God, God hates wickedness. The Bible's clear on that. But he doesn't hate the people who behave wickedly. So how does hatred happen? And how do we handle it? Well, we're in this series entitled The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. It's a series on the life of King David. Uh, And David in the Bible was known as a man after God's own heart. And we've kind of gotten to know him over the last few weeks as we've started into this series. And, And if you've been tracking with me, you probably would agree with me to say David was kind of a likable guy. He was kind of a guy that you wouldn't mind getting to know. And yet, there were some people who literally had a strong dislike for David. There was one guy in particular who had a literal hatred for David. Where that hatred came from and how David handled it is what we're going to look at this morning. So it might help us figure out how we can deal with hatred that's either in our hearts or hatred in the hearts of others toward us. So I want to set the stage. Last week, we went through that famous account of David and Goliath, you know, and and David slayed Goliath. And uh, King Saul of the Israelite army, he he gave this promise that anybody who kills the giant kills Goliath. You know, I'm going to give him riches. I'm going to give him marriage to my daughter. And his family is going to be tax-free. They won't have to pay any taxes. So Saul calls David in. And David comes to, before Saul, uh, King Saul, and he's literally got Goliath's head still in his hands. He's hanging on to the head of Goliath, I think probably to show, see, I did it, I killed the guy. Uh, I, I, you know, obviously there's something here for me, I killed the guy. You know, that's kind of my picture in my mind. But, but Saul asked him, so whose family are you from? And, and of course, David said, my father is Jesse, a Bethlehemite. In other words, we are from the city of Bethlehem. And, uh, and Saul is so impressed with this young man, who's maybe 17 years old, is about best educated guess, and uh, he brings him into his army right away. I know you're a little young, but you get to be a part of my army. And so David's a part of the army, and David is like having all these victories, right? He's, he's like winning, and he ends up like rising in power to the point of a commander of like a battalion, like a bunch of soldiers. And, and, and Saul is like, you know, seeing all this success in David. And, um, and, and so we pick up the account in, Ma- in, in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 18. You've got a Bible handy, you can follow along, 1 Samuel 18. Otherwise, those of you who have been around a while know that I always put the scriptures up here. So let me put them up here for you here. 1 Samuel chapter 18, let's just begin in verse 5. It says, So David went out wherever Saul sent him and prospered. And Saul set him over the men of war, and it was pleasing in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. It happened as they were coming when David returned from killing the Philistine that 
The women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. Now, let me, before I go on, let me just say, picture this. Saul, you know, they're beating the Philistines. Saul is like marching in from one city to the next, and the women are out there, and they're singing, and they're dancing, and they're playing their tambourines, and Saul's marching in, maybe probably riding on a horse, and he's kind of pretty proud of what's been happening, and they're here, he's hearing them singing, and he's like, ha they're singing my praises. I love this. And then he gets closer, and he starts to hear the lyrics of the song. Look at verse 7. The women sang as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Then Saul became very angry. For this saying displeased him. And he said, They have, dis- they have ascribed to David ten thousands, but to me they have ascribed thousands. <laughs> now what more can he have but the kingdom? Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. What happened? That Saul became very angry. I want us to look at the downward spiral into hatred today. See what happened in Saul's heart and in his actions and how David handled that. I think it started with jealousy. I think jealousy leads to anger. You ever sense from what was going on with Saul here that he he had jealousy in his heart? And that first hint of jealousy, I think, is seen Right at the beginning where we read, verse 5. Let me read it to you again. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and prospered, and Saul sent him over all the men of war. Now listen to what happens after all of this prospering of, of David. It says, And it was pleasing in the sight of all the people. All the Israelite people are seeing what's happening with David, and they're pretty happy about it. And also, in the sight of Saul's servants. All of those who serve the king, King Saul. So who is glaringly absent in that list of people who are pleased with what's going on with David? Who's not pleased with all of David's success? Saul. I mean, his servants, the people, the <laughs> but not Saul. And then when the women <laughs> are singing and dancing and giving David even more credit than Saul. Oh, my goodness. This is where jealousy begins to boil up in Saul. And I am convinced that jealousy is birthed in insecurity. Let me give you just a little backstory to Saul. Saul is anointed king by a prophet named Samuel. And Samuel is with Saul the whole time. And Saul did some good stuff to begin with as king, but then he started making some serious mistakes. He started not doing the king thing according to God's design and God's will. And, uh, and Samuel is there to give him warnings. And warning after warning, he's telling Saul, listen, you can't do that, you know. 
Like, you're not a priest. You can't go in and sacrifice animals to God. That's not your role. You're the king. But Saul did it, you know, and, and Saul did a bunch of mistakes along the way. And Samuel kept saying, you keep this up, God's going to take the kingdom from you to the point where you get to 1 Samuel 15, and, and Samuel finally says these defining words to King Saul. He said, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he, God, has rejected you from being king. No doubt that's swirling around in Saul's heart and his mind when he's seeing what is happening with David And I'm sure that that is why he said, as we read at the end of verse 8, look at the end of verse 8, now what more can he have but the kingdom? Maxwell Maltz, who is a blast from the past, really, he he wrote a famous work years ago called Psycho-Cybernetics. Some of you may uh, recall that, that phrase or that title of a book. He estimated that 95% of the people in our society struggle with inadequacy. And inadequacy is linked to inferiority and insecurity. They're all meshed together. And our insecurities uh, that all of us have, 95% of us, by the way, I'd like to meet the 5%. I mean, how how, how did he come up with 5% don't struggle with this? I think pretty much everybody does. Well, Let's just say everybody does. How we compensate for our insecurities is interesting to me. I think, as I was pondering this, that there's like four different ways in my mind what, how, we, how we work through our insecurities. One way is pretty obvious. When somebody is insecure, you know, when they feel a bit inferior, they feel a little inadequate, one of the most obvious ways in which someone might deal with that is through shyness. You know, just being shy. Just kind of being closed off emotionally. Uh, not allowing ourselves to connect with other people on an emotional level. Shyness is one way we deal with our insecurity. Another way that we deal with insecurity is just being critical, you know. We're criticizing this, criticizing that, criticizing that person, criticizing Because if we can bring them down, it makes us feel a little bit better. I think a third way, an obvious way that, that we, uh, we deal with our insecurities, we cover our insecurities through addiction where we find ourselves dependent on something. Uh, depending on, dependent on something, and quite honestly, sometimes we can be addicted to be dependent on someone. But our insecurities are masked by, uh, are veiled, are, are suppressed, relieved when we just go after that drug or what have you. See, I think we tend to get high so that we don't have to deal with our low, our low image of ourselves. One more way that I think Saul played out this insecurity was through aggressive behavior. Another way that we can deal with our insecurities is through aggressive behavior, and I think this is how Saul deals with his insecurity. Look at verse 10. Now it came about on the next day that an evil spirit from God came mightily upon Saul. Now this isn't the first time that this happened. You remember back a few weeks It's a spirit that brings disaster. This judgment of God to say, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you. You're not going to be king anymore. He sent his angels in to make sure that this disaster would happen. And he, Saul, raved in the midst of the house. While David was playing the harp with his hand as usual, and a spear was in Saul's hand. By the way, David was hired by Saul to come in 
when he felt insecure, when he felt rage, that David would come and play the harp and sing and try to soothe him and calm him down. And, and this is what David was doing. And a spear was in Saul's hand. And Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. Talk about aggressive behavior. But David escaped from his presence twice. Saul's raving through the castle. I don't know, we don't know what he was exactly saying, but no doubt he had this aggressive behavior and everybody around him was trying to manage his outbursts, trying to manage his anger, his hatred. And, and, and so as they're scurrying around, David's doing what he's supposed to be doing, playing the harp, singing, you know, trying to make him feel calm. And Saul takes his spear and hurls it at David. And I find it peculiar that he does it twice. Like, if I were David, one time would be all I needed, and I'd be out of there. But I don't know what it was. Was it in the moment, you know, he hurls it, David runs, he grabs it again and hurls it at him again. I don't know if it happened one time or if David came back a second time to play the harp. Let's try this again, and it happened a second time. Nobody really knows, but the bottom line is Saul was revealing his insecurity. And his insecurity, along with his jealousy, went hand in hand to have him have this aggressive anger toward David. Verse 12. Now Saul, and this reveals his insecurity, was afraid of David, for the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Now in the Old Testament era... God, the Holy Spirit, worked differently than he does in the New Testament era. In the Old Testament era, that if somebody was anointed by God, by his Spirit, it was done so that he would carry out a task for God or have an assignment that God gave him, and then God would empower him by his Holy Spirit to carry out whatever task that was. When the task was over, the Spirit of God would leave that person. Or when God had enough of that person, like in the case of Saul, he would remove his Spirit from him. Today, if we put our faith in Jesus as our Savior, we trust he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin and rose to give us eternal life, and we've received that gift of eternal life by faith from him, and he sends his Holy Spirit into us. We are born again, born of the Holy Spirit, and never in the New Testament and in all of church history, because what the New Testament teaches, does he ever remove his Spirit from us. Once we have the Holy Spirit in us, He's in us forever, and we are born again, and he's never removed. With the Holy Spirit upon him, David would do what God was calling him to do and not worry about how Saul felt about him. No matter how someone might feel about us, if we have the Holy Spirit in us, if we are Christians, we do have the Holy Spirit in us. And therefore, like David, we must be reliant on the Spirit of God. We have to be reliant on the Spirit and not be governed by how other people feel about us or how other people treat us. Look at verse 13. Therefore Saul removed him from his presence. In other words, he's not going to play the harp for him anymore. Now he's going to no longer be in the house with Saul and appointed him as commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. David was prospering in all his ways, for the Lord 
was with him. Why, why was David prospering? The Lord was with him. He was reliant on the Spirit of God. When I was growing up, about two miles from our home, there was a go-kart track. And uh, my brother Nathan, who's a year younger than me, and our neighbor friend Paul and I, who Paul's a year older than me, the three of us would oftentimes get on our little bicycles and ride over to the go-kart track because we love to ride the go-karts. And uh, we went to the go-kart track so many times that we knew which ones were the fast ones and which ones were the slow ones. And so we would fight for who's in the front of the line, you know, for when they open up the gates so you can go pick your cart. And we would jump at the carts, and it was always one, two, three. Paul and Nathan and I would get one, two, three. Well, this, this time, Paul uh, had number three. He got number three. And uh, Nathan and I got number two. I, I forget which was which, but, but um, the, you know, the, the green light go, and we start going, right? And we're going around the track. And Nathan and I are kind of fighting it out, and Paul doing his best, you know, to try and catch up to us. And he can't, and Nathan and I are having a good time and kind of laughing at Paul behind us. When all of a sudden, out of the blue, Paul comes whipping by us. And when he went by us, he had his arm back by the engine. Like, I don't know what was going on, but he's like, and he, and he all of a sudden is like going past us and we're like, whoa, and he's like, what in the world? I mean, Paul was going so fast that literally by the time we got done with the whole thing, you know how many times you get to go around? By the time we got all the way done, Paul had literally lapped Nathan and me with the two fastest carts. And we got out like, Paul, what, 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 what happened? He goes, I figured it out. What? He said, they got a stopper on the gas pedal so you can only go so fast. So I just reached around to the throttle and manually, you know, went faster by my hand back here on the throttle. Tell you what, we were golden after that. <laughs> you know, David, in and of himself, he was capable of fighting the Philistines. David had the abilities. I mean, he, he demonstrated his abilities, even by killing Goliath and all that. But it was like he reached around. And he knew he could have victory by the power that the Lord would give him. And so he relied on the Spirit of the Lord to throttle him through these fights. You and I, we have great abilities. We have great capabilities that God has given to us. And, you know, in and of ourselves... We have the ability to experience victories in our own experiences. And yet God calls us to reach out to him, to reach around to him, and rely on his spirit to throttle us through life. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul is speaking to Christians in Ephesians 5.18, and he says, don't get drunk with wine, don't be filled with wine, but be filled with the spirit. Now we have the spirit in us. And yet he's calling us to be filled with it. In other words, reach out and rely on the Holy Spirit in our lives. So, maybe jealousy has a grip on you. Well, don't just try to say, I'm just not going to be jealous anymore. Reach out to the Spirit of God and say, Lord, help me to not hang on to that jealousy anymore. Not sure what path to take in life. Lord, I, I, can, I can try to figure this out on my own, but Lord, I need your wisdom. Lord, give me the wisdom I need. Lord, lead me. Lead me to be an influence for you in my life. Lord, strengthen us. Heal us. Mold us. Make us 
mature us. Reach around to the Lord in prayer every day saying, Lord, I'm going to rely on you to throttle me through this life that you've called me to live. Well, jealousy leads to anger. And anger, then, leads to hatred. That hatred showed up in Saul. He made sure that David knew who was there who had the power and control. Look at verse 15. When Saul saw that he was prospering greatly, that David was prospering greatly, he dreaded him. That's like even more afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, and he went out and came in before them. Then Saul said to David, Here is my older daughter, Merab. I will give her to you as a wife. Which, by the way, that was the deal. You killed Goliath, I'm going to give you my daughter as a wife. So I'll give her to you as a wife. And then he adds this little addition. Only be valiant, a valiant man for me, and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, My hand shall not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. David said to Saul, Who am I, and, and what is my life, or my father's family in Israel, that I should be the king's son-in-law? So it came about at that time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, that she was given to Adriel, the Maholathite, for a wife. I can give her to you, or I can take her away and give her to whomever I want to give her to. I'm the one in control here. When someone exerts power and control of another person like that, it is an act of hatred toward them. Saul showed David in that moment, you are nothing and you have no power. And I am everything. And I'm the one who holds the power. I'm the one who keeps things under control the way I want them to happen. It was all about Saul in Saul's mind and heart. His anger turned into hatred. But look how David handled it. Even though the deal was, you kill Goliath, you get my daughter in marriage. David was humble. Look at verse back in verse 18 again. David said to Saul, Who am I and what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be the king's son-in-law? He knew the deal. But David stayed humble. If you and I want to be a man or a woman after God's own heart, we too must stay humble. David knew that Saul didn't like him. I mean, he threw spears at him, right? But he didn't shun Saul. He didn't talk bad about him. He kept a humble disposition. Like David, the apostle Paul wrote, thousand, about a thousand years later, he wrote these words, do not think of ourselves more highly than we ought. You know, humility is a rare commodity these days. It's in low supply. But it is critical if you and I are going to be men and women after God's own heart that we stay humble. 
Well, Saul not only showed his hatred toward David by exerting power and control over him, he also showed his hatred toward David by manipulating David for his own gain. Look at verse 20. Now when Michal, Saul's daughter, loved David, when they told Saul the thing was agreeable to him, Saul thought, I will give her to him that she may become a snare to him. See, Michal was a, a younger daughter, and the further away from the top of the age uh, in the family, the harder it is for, for whoever marries you or yourself to actually rise and become the king. So she's going to be a snare to him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. So if you marry into royalty, it's like putting a big target on your back. Like, that's the person to kill. So yeah, the Philistines will even be more against David if this happens. Therefore, Saul said to David, for a second time, you may be my son-in-law today. Then Saul commanded his servants, speak to David secretly, saying, Behold, the king delights in you. Well, flat-out lie. Flat-out lie. But this isn't a lie. And all his servants love you. Now, therefore, become the king's son-in-law. Yeah. Manipulation to set a trap. I have some uh, mouse traps in my basement. Now, we don't get a lot of mice, but every so often, I'll have to go clean out the trap, shall we say. And uh, the way I set them is maybe the way that you set them, and that is that, uh, you know, I, I put that bar back, and I put, put the little holder on there, and, and then on that plate, before I did that, I actually put peanut butter. I spread some peanut butter on top of that, right? And I set it there real delicately, and I set it kind of where, you know, no way that they can get out of this one, you know. And, and, uh, and the mouse will, will come into the house. I don't know how they get in because I have, like, gone around and around and around tried to plug every single tiny little crack and crevice in my house. But they get in, and they smell that peanut butter. Oh, what is that? I'm smelling something. And then it's like, oh, oh, oh. Favorite. They get up there and I, this is really a strange place to have peanut butter. <laughs> Look at that. And they, they kind of come up and they take a little lick. Oh, yeah, that's peanut butter, all right. And it's like, I'm going in for some more. How pop! Got him! <laughs> yeah. Huh. This is perfect. My daughter, Michal, she, she loves David, and he's clearly fond of her. <laughs> he is going to be so sucked into this one, and then it's going to be a trap. Then I'm going to get him. It's going to be a snare. I've got him. I'll trap him where he cannot take the kingdom from me. You ever been duped? You ever been manipulated? Trapped by someone? I've, I've heard it. Matter of fact, recently I was talking to a guy, and he said to me, uh, they're not, they're not going to fire me. They can't fire me. I've been there so long, there's no way they can't fire me. But I can tell they're squeezing me out. They're going to get me to a point where I have to resign. Manipulated. Pushed into a trap or a guy you know he's 
bringing home flowers. And uh, he's all nice. He's all nice. His last night didn't go so well. And his wife gets the flowers, and he's being real nice, but she can see through it. He's not being actually nice to me. He's trying to manipulate me to get what he wants out of me. It's like I'm being led to a trap that I can't really get out of. Those who have been abused say that this happens all the time. You know? I mean, that person, they, they had me trusting them. I was wooed. I was, I was brought in. And then they used me. Then they violated me. They had me trapped and I couldn't get away. Manipulating another person for our own benefit is an act of hatred toward that person. It's an act of hatred toward that person. And if we sense that that's happening, we must seek truth. Go after what is true here. I'm sensing something, but what is true? And then live according to the truth. I know that that's what David was doing. Look at it says, So Saul's servant spoke these words to David, but David said, Is it trivial in your sight to become the king's son-in-law since I am a poor man and lightly esteemed? He's saying, wait, something doesn't feel quite right about what's going on here. I mean, here's the truth. I, I don't have a dowry. I, I have nothing to offer for Michal. I, I, I don't know what, what's the right thing to do here, but let's try and be truthful about what's right versus what's not right in how we handle this. That's what David was doing. He was seeking the truth. If we want to be people after God's own heart, then we must always pursue the truth. No matter if we're holding hatred in our hearts or if we're feeling hatred that somebody else is holding in their hearts toward us, it's the truth that will set us free from the chains that hatred shackles us with. Well, finally, if hatred goes unchecked, hatred leads to murder. Now, I know that sounds intense, but it's true. Maybe not actually carrying out the act of murder, but having similar desires that a murderer has. It was true for Saul. Look at verse 24. The servants of Saul reported to him according to these words which David spoke. And so Saul said, then said, Thus you shall say to David, The king does not desire any dowry except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines to take vengeance on the king's enemies. And here's his motive behind giving that. Now Saul planned to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. Saul planned to have David killed. There would be no way that David could actually get a hundred foreskins from the Philistines. That is just impossible. 
There's no way that he could do this without the Philistines getting on top of him and killing him. And that's what Saul wanted to have happen. Hatred, if it goes unchecked, will lead to murderous thoughts and murderous plans even. I don't think anyone said it more clearly than the Apostle John when he wrote these words in 1 John 3 and verse 15. Look at 1 John 3, 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. No one with murderous thoughts has a mindset of what eternal life is all about. That's not abiding in them. Being with the Lord, being in heaven, with him forever, God and and his desires are not in him or her who hates. When there's hatred, which stems from anger, which stems from jealousy, which no doubt is birthed in insecurity, and we want harm to come to another person, where we don't want their best, we want their worst. It's at that moment that we have the same heart as a murderer. Unlike Saul, instead of hatred, we've got to live like David. First of all, we have to live courageously. Live courageously. Look at verse 26. When his servants told David these words, it pleased David to become the king's son-in-law. Before the days were expired, in other words, he only had a certain amount of time to actually get these 104 skins. So before those days were expired, David rose up and went, he and his men, and struck down 200 men among the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, and they gave them in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. So Saul was stuck, and he gave him Michal, his daughter, for a wife. <laughs> yeah. You kidding me? I asked him to bring me 100 foreskins. The guy brings me 200 foreskins. What is up with that? Who is this guy? I'll tell you who this guy is. David was crazy courageous. That's who this guy was. And it freaked Saul out. Verse 28. When Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him, then Saul was even more afraid of David. Thus Saul was David's enemy continually. You know, some people, by the way, no matter how courageous we are, no matter how heroic, no matter how hard we try to help them or serve them or let them know that we're for them and not against them, they just will never like us. This is no doubt what David was feeling. Like, I don't think this guy will ever like me. And you just got to be like, okay. If we're confident that we've been humbled and we're living in the truth, and others confirm this in us, like everybody else saw it in David, but Saul didn't, and there's still someone who doesn't like us, just live courageously for the Lord. Be a servant. Be honorable, and don't let their hatred of you or me 
Stop us from courageously loving. Stop us from courageously serving. Stop us from not hating in return. Well, finally, one more thing. You and I, if we want to be like David, then we need to pursue wisdom. Pursue wisdom. Look at the description of David at the last verse of chapter 18, verse 30. Then the commanders of the Philistines went out to battle. And it happened as often as they went out that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul. So his name was highly esteemed. Wisdom. Doing the right thing. Wisdom to serve as a leader. Wisdom to not hate in return. Talk about a time in our history of America when hatred was probably even more intense than what we're experiencing today. It was back during the civil rights movements of the uh, rights movement of the 1960s. And of course, the main guy, when you think of the civil rights movement, is Martin Luther King Jr. And he was addressing the hate in our nation. And he said these words, which I love. He said, I have decided to stick to love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. That is so true. Saul went crazy with hating David. And David went on to be a man after God's own heart because he didn't hate in return. Now, I don't know where your heart is at. I don't know who has wronged you along the way. I don't know what has caused hatred to take root in your heart, or even if hatred has taken root in your heart. I don't know if you're struggling because someone has chosen to hate you, and you don't know how to deal with it. However, what I do know is that God does not want us to hold on to hatred. Or hate in return. He wants us to deal with our anger. He wants us to weed out our jealousy. And he wants every single one of us to be women and men after his own heart.